The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coach's Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Cato, and today I've got a special guest on with me, a coach I haven't had on before, a collegiate coach, and a coach who I think is going to do a really, really good job presenting ideas, thoughts, information. So get your pencils out, your pens out, whatever you use to write with, get some paper out, ready to take some notes, just like I am myself, and let's get to know Coach Bolden. Coach Bolden, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, man. First of all, Joel, let me thank you for having me, uh, you know, on this podcast and giving me the opportunity to do this. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Really supportive of the work that you do. I uh, want to help continue supporting you. So, again, thank you, uh, first and foremost. But hard work uh, is really how I got here. You know, I wasn't um, someone that had the, the biggest baseball resume uh, on the planet. I didn't play for you know, the Marlins for 15 years. I didn't have the, the huge pro experience. I didn't have the greatest college career uh, as an athlete as far as, um, you know, the longevity and different things like that. So I've, you know, I've had a vision, a passion, and just, you know, work ethic to not allow anybody else to, you know, compete with what I'm doing as far as how, how hard I want to go after my dreams. So I've been focused um, and had really good results. That that also helps as well. But um, I'm from Chicago, close to Chicago, Illinois, uh, I lived there my whole life pretty much. Um, I knew I wanted to coach. I started coaching in when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, you could first start working in Illinois uh, when you're 16. So I started working for the Park District. I uh, knew I always wanted to be a coach. Um, I knew I wouldn't be able to play forever. So I started working for the Park District, you know, had a different, lot of different responsibilities, um, played baseball, football, basketball growing up. Um, and baseball was something that I kind of thought with me being about six feet, uh, would give me the, the real opportunity to actually be able to compete at a professional level. Um, it's really tough for basketball, and then football is just a grind on the body and, and the mind, right? So uh, did baseball, played college ball for a year. Um, you know, Then after that, I, I had an opportunity to play independent baseball for two years. Uh, and then once that was over, I got right into coaching. Um, and, you know, as far as with more travel organizations and, and you know, collegiately was kind of my focus, but I hadn't yet had my degree. Uh, so started coaching at the high school level and then I, I coached a little bit in travel organizations. Then I decided to start my own travel organization, uh, because I wanted the ability to be able to impact guys, um, and players, you know, potentially being able to go to the next level without having to go through a middleman. Um, I'm a person that's very like, um, I have a task. This is what I want to do. I want to get it done now. I don't want to wait. Um, so I wanted the ability to impact, you know, players' careers and, and be honest with them and give them things and prepare them for the next level that they weren't getting that I saw um, with different other organizations. So and also, you know, I mentioned coaching was my dream. Um, when you look on a resume, you know, even though I hadn't had a coaching experience before, you couldn't turn me down um, as a head coach because I had the business budgeting everything that you have to do as a head coach at the college level. I did it in my travel organization, and it's actually harder because I was a sole proprietor. Um, so I had to really figure out the ins and outs of not only baseball and development, continuing that, but um, how the business aspect of it works. So that was something for me that was huge. Um, continue coaching, got my degree a little bit later in life. Um, so then I got my first job coaching Division One at Chicago State University. 
uh, super blessed for the opportunity that Steve Jocelyn gave me. Shout out to Steve. Uh, so I had really good results with that. Um, you know, I was a PE teacher, so I was trying to do that. Coach my travel organization. Um, I coached high school basketball as well. Uh, so I was doing a lot of different things, uh, but it was all preparing me for what eventually what my dream would be uh, to become a head coach. So I coached there for a year. Um, I left um, because they played in the WAC, and that's West Coast Athletic Conference. Um, you know, and the schedule just so how to work out for me where I was able to attend almost like 85% of the games. Um, but with doing all the other jobs, you know, I, those were my full-time paying jobs. Um, I ended up going to Illinois Tech, um, Division Three school, uh, went there the first year, had an opportunity to work with a, with a guy, Lou Collier, who's a former big leaguer. Uh, one of the best experiences, just being around him, talking the game all day. Um, you know, late at night when we'd be on road trips, picking his brain about things and him just reassuring me, uh, you know, hey, man, you, you got a good grasp for this stuff. Continue grinding, continue working. You'll have an opportunity to become a head coach one day. It was nice having that. Um, he left after the first year. So in my second year, uh, Coach Ed Zeeford gave me pretty much autonomy to the offense. And we set some school records um, and we had really good success. And that, that helped me get an opportunity to become the head coach at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Um, almost 100 people interviewed for the position, and I got it. Um, and I think that I got it, like I said, based on the results I had gotten everywhere else um, with winning and, and being able to make a difference. And, and also um, work ethic, like I mentioned, right, and having the drive and the energy and the passion and having a vision uh, for what it is because this is something, again, I didn't choose to be a coach late in life. I'd already kind of paved the way and, and saw this process happen in my head and what I would do when I got the opportunity when that came. So I was well prepared for it. So that's kind of where I'm at now, man. Awesome. And we're glad to have you on, Coach Bolden. So let's get to know you a little bit more. Let's hear some of the stories that you got. So one of the ways I like to start off the podcast, I like to ask, what's the craziest, strangest, wildest thing that you've witnessed firsthand at a ball game? Oh, you know, I, man, outside of like being in the travel organization business and, and seeing parents and coaches and uh, other parents of other teams and umpires argue and almost be ready to fight in the parking lot, uh, that's pretty much the worst. As far as a player, I mean, maybe one or two brawls between other teams I've been a part of, but nothing really crazy as a player um, and, and nothing really crazy in college. Uh, but the travel level definitely um, – where, where parents take it very, very seriously. Um, th that was some those you know some of the crazier ones, but nothing nothing too out of the ordinary. And then another one I like to ask is, what's the greatest performance that you've seen firsthand? You know, the greatest performance singly in a game. Uh, <laughs> uh, interesting story. Um, so we played. I was at Illinois Tech. Um, and we played against uh, NYU, New York University, um, and we, we played them in Florida in the Yankees complex, which was pretty cool. Uh, both teams ended up scoring over 20 runs, uh, so that was actually one of the coolest things, even though we didn't win, we didn't win the game. Uh, but both teams being able to, you know, offensively put together that type of performance for me was, was pretty cool, and that was a team effort more or less than an individual, you know, effort. I like the fact that the, you know, entire team contributed to that on both sides, but it was good seeing that offense because I'm, you know, I love hitting, so it's nice to see that, you know, teams, two teams are putting it together that day and, and getting situational hitting done too. All right, so 
Let's say that I go up to Wisconsin and I come and watch a practice that you're leading. Can you take us to what that practice looks like, what I might be hearing, what I might be seeing? And then how detailed do you get when it comes to running a practice? Yeah, so we we always have the practices, myself and my other two coaches, planned out, you know, days in advance. We we do like a weekly check-in. Uh, so we go over the things um, that we want to, you know, we need to cover, et cetera. It kind of depends on when you come, right? Um, so much when, if we're indoors or outdoors, right? So um, if we're outdoors in a cold weather state, we try to play. Uh, so typically what a practice would be for fall ball, we get 16 days. We, we What we, you know, did this year was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sundays. Uh, Mondays were instructional days and one-on-one days where we, you know, worked on situational things defensively and, and other things like that. And then the rest of the, the days, they intra-squad and then they played. Uh, we kept their numbers. We tracked their stats. Uh, it was basically like an ongoing tryout um, to kind of see the best 42 that we could put together for the roster. Um, then we get, you know, we come around to winter. Uh, we have certain days, you know, five days uh, regulated uh, for what we do for practice. One day is a classroom day where we break down baseball. Uh, and then the other days, you know, two days um, are hitting. And then the other days are team practices. Uh, so we kind of break down every little thing in the bits and pieces. Um, and we really want to make sure we have all areas covered, uh, you know, for the guys to be successful in preparing us for our, our first game of the season. Uh, obviously, the pitchers have to throw live to hitters and, and different things like that. And the pitchers need to see and hitters need to see live pitching. But um, as far as, you know, intensity, um, I'm not somebody I don't have like we're not a, like three hour, four hour practice team. Uh, we go a solid two hours um, and it's essentially 90 minutes. It's just nonstop working and it's intensity and every rep counts and it's pressure. Um, you'll hear a lot of things like, you know, overcoming adversity. Um, you know, a lot of things just working through the baseball defensively, um, you know, different things for different positions, footwork with the outfielders, um, you know, hitting one thing, you know, that's a, it's a whole nother thing in itself, but basically, you know, staying inside the baseball, using both gaps, uh, being able to be a well-rounded hitter and, and different things like that. So, and then once we get to the season, uh, for our conference, the WIAC, we typically play Saturday, Sunday. Uh, so Monday would be an off day for us. Um, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, we'd enter squad. So we play again and we track stats all the time. So typically during those midweek, those are the guys that aren't really playing in the conference games to give them an opportunity to, you know, compete for an opportunity to play on the weekend. So, um, I'm just obsessed with competition. Uh, and then Thursday, Fridays are more laid back. So like a BP day, situational things, um, kind of preparing what the team we're going to play against, uh, the, the, I guess their style of play and what we can kind of look for and best kind of put in their heads, how we want to attack the weekend. So again, I'm at your practice. What are maybe some particular drills, maybe a situational thing you guys like to work on? And you talked about competition. You love competition. What is like maybe a competition I could like a coach listening or even myself could be like, man, I like that coach Bolden does that. I've never heard of doing that before. I'm going to take that to my own practice or maybe it's a drill or maybe it's a situational thing. What is something a coach listening to this could steal from your practice without even being there just based off what you're saying in my, this podcast? Um, well, the drills would determine the, the position, right, and what we're doing, whether it's pitchers, hitters, infielders, outfielders, catchers. 
uh, et cetera. But um, I'll just say like a team drill that we do. We do 27 outs, um, and they have to make 27 clean plays, um, you know, every single time when we break them off into different teams. Uh, so basically the best team, whoever team finishes the 27 outs first wins, um, and essentially the teams that don't win have to do, do a couple down and backs. Uh, so that competition and not want to do the down and backs, uh, while some people will look at that as, as punishment, it's actually a way to get better because uh, you're improving your condition because we play um, nine inning games, two nine inning games in a weekend. So that's four total games of nine innings. Right. So we play a lot of baseball and we got to be conditioned for it. But uh, yeah, that that's kind of an example of what I could give you that we would do as a team with everybody incorporated or we do four corners. Um, where we we put the guys in four corners, 90 feet apart, all the way around, uh, and we do so like we reverse it and go the other direction, or they have to go two or three times around uh, to get back, and then they got to follow their throw. So not only are they throwing the ball, but they're running to each different spot, um, and whoever finishes first, then they win, and then same thing, couple down and backs, uh, and, and different things like that. But those are just a few things that we do for competition things. Awesome. I love some competitional things to do at practice. I, I'll never forget. I had a coach on one time and he talked about in one of their competitions, he always had a punishment. And he, I asked him, you know, what's the craziest punishment maybe you guys do um, at practice for losing? And he, I'll never forget. He said one time uh, when he was in college, one of the punishments was they had to eat an entire jar of baby food in front of the whole team without throwing up. And so I'm curious, is there any interesting or fun ways that you guys, not just have competition like you were telling us about, but also some fun punishments you guys do to really build the team together? Maybe not sprinting, but just something fun. Oh, that's interesting. You know, no, um, if I'm being honest with you. Um, uh, yeah, we, we're just trying to get the most out of every rep that we take. You know, it's really just a Again, I, I hate to look at it like punishment. I think it's more like you're getting better overall in a sense, no matter whatever you're doing while you're at practice. Uh, but no, nothing nothing like that. That's pretty interesting to hear, though. You share that. <laughs> Another thing, um, being an assistant coach at a lot of those uh, collegiate schools, one of the things you're probably in charge of is running camps, working with camps, uh, getting kids to come to camps. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the things you guys like to do at camps and, you know, what are you looking for when you're bringing those kids to camp? Um, it depends on if you're talking about youth or, or, or prospects. That would be high school level. Um, if you're talking about on the youth aspect of it in high school, I mean, prospect as well, we really want to keep it simple for them. Um, we really want to give them simple tech, you know, terminology. We don't want to overcomplicate things. Um, we really want to allow them to have an opportunity to, to again, have, comp, comp, you know, competitive games. Um, that we do for prizes, t-shirts, and you know, not the not the running down and backs and things like that necessarily, but uh, just that you know, have fun, teach the game at a high level, um, break down the basic fundamentals for them um, so they're prepared and they can do things on their own. You know, give them drills they can do by themselves and and things like that so they can constantly get better and just try to share our knowledge of the game with them and just try to give them some of the IQ. Um, just for different situations that they could probably prep for in their head, uh, whether that be mental prepared, you know, being mentally prepared and, and physically prepared. We try to make sure we, we take care of both of those for the for the players that that come to our camps. So as well as running camps, one of the duties I'm sure you had was recruiting, getting kids to come to the school that you were coaching at and still probably do a, a huge role in recruiting, being the head coach up in Wisconsin. So I'm curious, when you're going to recruit, what are things that you're looking for? How can I, as a high school coach, help you get my kids recruited to go to your school? 
and just talk to us about recruiting, what you're looking for and how other coaches can help you at the youth and high school level, help promote their kid for you to recruit them. Yeah, so recruiting, the, that's the most important part of the job. Um, and I actually do, I do about 95% of the recruiting as a head coach. Um, recruiting is something that I feel very, you know, very passionate about because that's where you kind of, you know, build that trust relationship, um, you know, and that buy-in when the guys step on campus is having that personal relationship and being able to speak with them and their parents and, and them sitting down uh, in front of you. Um, as opposed to, you know, meeting them in person, you know, when they get on campus and not really knowing them. Uh, I really want to know these guys inside and out. I want them to know me as well. So um, the trust thing is huge for me. So I love recruiting, actually. Uh, I recruit, you know, kind of all over the country um, from really many different states. So like our current roster, we have players from Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Mississippi, um, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, so I, I really open up, you know, my recruiting as far as like the borders, right? I don't restrict myself. We have recruits coming in next year from California. Um, so that, you know, a lot of different States, a lot of different diversity. Um, I like a lot of diverse people, not only ethnicity wise, but also, um, socioeconomic. Um, there's a lot of learning from this that you can do with building a team. Um, so I pretty much have a vision for what an idea blue gold baseball player would look like. Um, as far as what youth coaches can do to help teach the fundamentals. So these guys come in prepared. Um, it's shocking sometimes at the college level, even at the D one level, um, just how players just don't know situational baseball um, and just some of the most purest forms of like cuts and relays and, and different things like that. So just teaching the game uh, and really breaking it down and really getting so much away from the, it's not always about the, you know, showcase numbers and things like that, but it's more about the IQ. Um, and that, that, that kind of, for me is what's something that's really important. Uh, but the biggest thing is character um, of everything and academics, right? So, if you don't have good grades, you know, if you're not a high character person socially, um, in baseball, obviously, right? So it goes academic, baseball, social. Um, the, the thing about college is really difficult um, for young guys is that the time, because you have so much time. Um, and if you use that time getting better um, and asking questions, those are the players I typically really like. Players that want to stay after practice, that want to get the extra reps, that wear me out. Like, coach, can you throw me BP? Coach, can you hit me ground balls? Coach, you know, what do you see doing wrong? Um, and seek knowledge. Those are players that have the most success. So um, guys that are really humble, that are that are curious for knowledge, um, and guys that I know are going to do a really good job as a person because they're representing their family, the university, and our team, uh, and also guys that I know that can handle the academic part of it and just put in that work. No, I'm sure you've gone all over recruiting. Just like you said, you got players from all over. I'm curious, do you have any particular recruiting story where maybe you weren't there at the game to watch a particular kid, but this kid just stuck out and you wanted to recruit that kid, you recruited that kid, you got the kid or whatever. But do you have any really good recruiting stories that you could share with us? Um, You know, not really. You know, I think when I go recruit um, and I'm, and I'm looking at players, it starts from the moment that they get out of their car. Um, and co scouts and, and coaches, when they go to games, you're kind of like players. I want to give you, you guys are always getting evaluated. Okay. There's never a time where you're not being evaluated. As soon as you get out of that, that first cleat or that first turf, uh, shoe steps off that, you know, into that ground and you're ready to start walking to the field. So the biggest thing I'm looking for is how they prepare, how they interact with their teammates, what they do through failure. 
Um, a lot of times if I'm going to watch players, um, and you're always watching players, right? So even if you're not a guy that's getting recruited and you know one of your teammates are, that's an opportunity for you to be showcased, right? So there's always moments for you to have an opportunity to be seen by a coach. But everything you do, um, you know, takes consideration. But like I was saying, I'd rather see players deal with failure uh, when I go watch them because chances are, you know, when I see them, I already have a good interest in them. So I really want to see how they uh, do they continue to change as a person? Do they stay consistent through failure? Um, do they continue to hustle on and off the field? Um, different things like that. A lot of people are always high energy when they're doing things good, but when they when things aren't going their way, those are the people that I want to see if they stay consistent and they keep that same positive energy. So those are the type of players that we look for. Um, I really like a well-rounded offense as far as that. So I like guys that can run, um, handle the bat, hit and run. I like to play small ball, bunt. Um, I like to do a lot of different things like that. We like to hit the ball out of the park, too, but we really want to be a well-rounded offense. Pitchers who can throw strikes uh, with multiple pitches, at least three, um, can pitch backwards, can hit spots, um, doesn't stay too high or too low, that can keep runners in check um, and have short strides uh, to the plate when runners on and, and just stuff like that. You know, catchers being leaders. Um, you know, they, that that's the most important position on the field. So uh, guys who can really command a team and are really vocal, um, are always thinking one play ahead. So those are kind of the things that I look for when I go scout. You know, this morning I was scrolling on Twitter and I seen that Urban Meyer apparently has had some run-in with some assistant coaches where he called them losers and he's not a loser, he's a winner. And it looks like things are going really south for Urban Meyer right now. And you're probably wondering, why am I talking about Urban Meyer on this podcast? But you as well are a head coach and I'm interested. Urban Meyer doing that is clearly... Not something that um, if you really want to lead an organization, that's probably not the best way to go about that is calling your assistants a bunch of losers and you're not a loser. But I'm curious to you, what are some of the important qualities of a leader? Uh, you know what, man, to be honest with you, um, giving autonomy, not not thinking that your word is always the 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 last and the final say allowing players and other coaches freedom allowing them to to voice their opinions if they see something um because they're they're into it right um and so if they see something in practice like a drill or something that you know they think they can uh improve on or something we can do differently or they don't really understand the purpose i give them full autonomy to voice that to me um as far as with assistance man a lot of times Hey, coaches like to put their assistants in a box. Um, I, I force my assistants to think and to come up with things on their own and, and ask them why um, and let them go through the process and let them evaluate. And then I give them feedback and kind of about, you know, where they're at and what I think. But the biggest thing is just allowing people to be them, um, you know, and, and making correction, being consistent with everything that you do. Um, you know, so Urban Meyer in his particular situation, you know, he's calling other guys losers, but he's clearly married. He's at his bar. Uh, you know, he's not representing his family in the best of, you know, scenarios. So it, you got to be consistent with what you say and what you do. Right. Um, so that's something that's really important to me as well is just making sure that if, if I'm saying it, I got to follow through on those actions as well. And then if I'm not, I got to be accountable. Right. So it's not about being perfect, but it's about, you know, learning from your mistakes uh, and really just being able to be vulnerable, right, with them and share things, personal things, uh, have my family around because that's important, you know, so incorporating all of that together to balance a really wholesome life. Uh, just those types of things, man, and just being available for them no matter what, um, not just baseball, right, being that mentor. That's something for me that I take the most important um, part to my job with is being able to be a mentor for them and listen to them about life. 
because me on the field, I'm very competitive, I'm very intense, I'm very much like business, like, you know, obviously, you know, I, I there's a balance, you know, I'm, I like to have a ton of fun and be laid back, uh, but in competition, I'm, I'm looking to, to bury the other opponent. Uh, you know, but outside of that, that's that's not the same correlation. So if a player goes 0 for 4 in a game uh, and, and strikes out three times, I'm not going to carry that over to them when I get to my office and they want to talk to me about uh, maybe somebody in their family past, maybe they're struggling with a girlfriend, or maybe they're just having trouble with classes. Um, so just being available for them and, and whatever they need, making sure that I give them really good advice uh, and kind of help guide their future a little bit. Thing you mentioned earlier, and we kind of talked about, is you get players from all over the country coming to play for you. So, what are some ways that you get players that are coming from all over? They're coming from different, like you talked about, social economics, coming from different cultures, uh, coming from different, even possibly uh, the language they speak might even be a little bit different. Their slang words they may use may be a little bit different. People from Louisiana aren't going to use the exact same slang as someone from, you know, Florida. The, the, the dialect's going to be different. And so I'm curious on what are ways that you get these players from all over to come together and be unified as a team in such a short amount of time? Great question. You know, we do a ton of, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm a black coach. I'm a minority. Um, and I've seen the world from a, a really different place than a lot of people, um, you know, the good and the bad. Um, I've seen, I've been blessed and fortunate to see a lot of different sides to life. Um, and not just one side of it. So I'm really used to and accustomed being around a lot of different people all the time. Uh, my wife is white. I have two kids, a son and a daughter. They're mixed. Um, you know, so I, I'm really big into just like everybody being just good people and having really good intentions with things that you do. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your personality is. Right. Um, and we want to bring that all together, but we do things. So, uh, I'll give you an example of what we did a couple uh, weeks ago. So uh, we, we kind of talked about, we do, we have study table with them uh, where we, you know, they do their grades. But then after that, we do uh, equality, you know, um, diversity, inclusion. So we work on EDI um, with them and we really break down things. So we talked about uh, just failure, right? We, we did a, a SWAT test. So everybody went over their strengths, weaknesses, uh, their vulnerabilities um, and different things like that. So they they wrote down their own. Um, they talked about it out loud as well as myself and the other coaches. Uh, and then we made a team one. So what is the team strengths? What are the team weaknesses? You know, what do we need to do to get better? Uh, so that was something that, you know, we kind of did as well. And those are things that we do. So we do different things every week. Uh, we try to change it up for them as far as stereotypes. You know, I don't think any of the players I have are racist. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing for a black coach. Uh, but they probably do have friends that are racist, you know, a lot of, a lot of different areas, right? So Alabama, Georgia, Minnesota, a lot of different places. Uh, so my, my goal for them is to be able to speak up when they hear ignorance, no matter what it is. It's not even just about racism, but, um, anything, gender equality, like just everything. I want them to be aware socially, um, and be able to speak up if they, if they hear things like that and not just allow it to just, you know, either laugh cause they're uncomfortable or just ignore it because they don't want to deal with it. Um, I want them to be able to feel like they're, they're a leader in that situation and they can speak up. So we do a bunch of different exercises to, to kind of get them to be more vulnerable as a group and talk about their differences as well as their similarities and why we're together 
Um, you know, that that's our goal is to win a national championship in a banner. It's not good just being competitive. It's not good just winning conference. It's not good just winning regionals. We want to win. We want to hang banners, right? Because those are the things that people never forget. People forget great teams all the time that don't win. So we want to. Our goal is to always be unforgettable, right? And the only way we do that is by by hanging a national championship. So, and no matter how different we are in our lives, we're we're similar, right? But we all have that one common goal too. Also, at the end of the tunnel. You talking about that reminds me of a John Gordon article I read when I was in college, and it was about Dabo Sweeney. And Dabo Sweeney found this stool, this seat somewhere. Um, I can't remember where, but that's not the important part. But what he does every day after a practice is he puts a player on that seat in front of the whole team, and he interviews that player. And the players talk in front of the whole team about who his hero is, you know, what do his, he thinks his strengths are, his weaknesses are, putting him and interrogating him in front of everybody, but to, to, to make that person seem human in front of the rest of his teammates so that they know he's also got insecurities, you know, that his dad's also his hero, you know, that maybe he doesn't have a really good relationship with a mom or something. So it's just a way to humanize your teammate in front of the rest of the team and make them feel vulnerable to make them feel closer and more unified and together. So that's just what you talking about made me think about in particular. You know, one of the questions that I was thinking of before I got on this podcast is a question I saw on Twitter. Uh, an athletic director somewhere posted a bunch of questions on Twitter about questions he asks during an interview. And so I read through the, all the questions, and most of them are pretty typical. But one of them in particular stuck out to me, and it's a great question to ask. So you're going to be the first coach I've asked on the podcast before this question. And it's how do you install discipline into your program? Good question, man. So one of the things that I do, holding them accountable and being consistent, we talked about that, right? So we have certain expectations for grades. We want our team GP to be above a 3.0. Uh, so we do the study table. We we spoke about that. So um, if our team GPA is not above a 3.0 at all times, there's repercussions for it, right? Uh, if an individual is below a 2.3 in, in, in their overall GPA, there's consequences for it. If you're late for practice, there's consequences for it. Uh, if you're not doing things socially the right way, there's consequences for it. I don't just cancel players out right away um, because I do understand they're, they're, they're still kids. They're developing into young men, and, and that's what we want them to be when they leave. So I don't necessarily expect them to be perfect, but I hold them accountable in every single thing that they do, man. And there's, again, no matter what it is, there's always repercussions for what you do, right? We have a stare uh, case at our school uh, that's huge. Uh, so they go up and down that and they have to get it in a certain time uh, and just different things like that, man, to make sure. And, it, you know, the thing is like mentally, physically, right, it all kind of goes hand in hand, right? And then at some point you have to have a breaking point to where you're not going to continuously allow uh, the same behavior. So then you have to make a decision about whether that player is worth being on your team or not. Uh, if they just continue, cannot, you know, if they can, you know, if they continue to just make bad decisions and, you know, and, and poor choices. So uh, it's kind of a culmination of a lot of things. But the biggest thing is every single thing that they do, hold them accountable for it. You know, another aspect of discipline in the organization it has to be held accountable by your assistant coaches. So I'm curious, if you were to or if you have interviewed assistant coaches before, what are some of the questions you'd want to ask them? And then what are the answers you'd want to hear from them? Biggest thing that I always ask is, what, why did you want to start coaching? 
what what made you want to become a coach? Uh, what's your daily why? I, you know, I talk about that with players too. But what's your why? You know, what what's your motivation for every day when you're having tough days? Because baseball, we all know, uh, baseball coaches don't get paid a ton, right? So you have to really have a you have to be in this game for the right reason. You know, it's definitely not about money. Uh, so I'm, I'm always curious to figure out, like, you know, you could do other things. You could go into sales. You could do different things like that. Why do you choose baseball? Um, and how do you get yourself in a position where you're motivated all the time when, when, when things get difficult? So those are the two things to me that are really important. So we talked about prior to me hitting the record button, the ABCA. And let's say that I'm the person in charge of the ABCA and I'm asking Coach Bolden to come speak at the convention and you get to pick your own topic to present. What do you think you would present on? And then give us a little snippet of that presentation. Uh, I would probably, you know what? I would probably do, I would talk about hitting. Um, I, I love hitting, and that's something I always could go back to. Uh, but just how to build a well-rounded offense, um, and kind of what you're looking for. Uh, so with me just talking about hitting, uh, for one thing, I, I teach, uh, you know, bottom hand is directional. So, you know, the longer you can see the pitch, uh, the better. So keeping the front shoulder in. Once that front shoulder kind of bails or goes a different direction, uh, you get in trouble. And then the top hand gets you to the ball, um, you know, so you're staying through it. Um, so that's something like, you know, drills to work on that, what we would do, uh, you know, front toss, allowing the ball to get as deep as possible and then get putting, setting up cones or, or setting up an area where we want them to hit the ball, um, to where it would be like exactly on the line or exactly in the gap, um, and allow them to be comfortable to just see the ball along. So that's the biggest thing with hitting is being able to see it. So the longer you see it, you know, the more success you'll have with it. So that, that's something I would talk about. So let's continue on this conversation with hitting. What do you think separates the good from the great hitters in the game of baseball? Consistency, um, short memory, having an approach, um, you know, not trying to change everything if you don't have certain success, um, sticking with, with what worked. Uh, that was something I was guilty of in, in my second year. I had the best year uh, as far as, like, having opportunities to play pro balls. And I, I started working uh, for the White Sox, um, giving lessons and running camps and clinics. Um, but I, I became so technical with my swing. I went away from what I had done my entire life that helped me hit. Um, so the biggest thing is just staying within yourself, um, knowing your approach and just, um, you're not trying to do too much, right? Don't, don't guess too much. I, I like really like sitting on fastball and adjusting to off speed, um, and just different stuff like that. You know, thinking middle away and reacting to the inside pitch. Um, I think that's a mindset alone. Uh, cause I think everybody wants to pull the ball, but it, it's, it's more difficult to see it. But again, we talked about the numbers, like the longer you see it, uh, the more opportunity you'll have to be successful. Now, in the game of baseball today, especially with hitting, you get on Twitter and you can't see two people that agree on anything to do with it. And so I'm curious on your opinion, is the, as the some people would say, the launch angle swing or maybe just technology in itself, do you think that that's hurting the game today? So baseball is a, a niche sport, um, and it's kind of one of these things where if you can kind of separate yourself, you want people always act like, you know, they're reinventing the wheel all the time with baseball, but it's really a simple game. And I think that's the biggest part of this is that people are getting way, 
baseball so hard mentally just if you take the factors of of trying to hit a round object coming at you with less than a second and um be really proficient at it and failing you know 70 percent of the time uh it's really difficult so when you start thinking about so many other things outside of that and you make it more complicated than it is that's why baseball is in a position that it's in even at the major league level the the purity of baseball is gone um, you don't see stolen bases much anymore. You don't see um, hitting and running. You don't see bunting. Everything's about home runs and long swings and strikeouts are okay. Um, call me crazy, but I've seen many major leaguers bobble uh, baseballs on routine plays. So the object is to get on base. Um, so if you strike out more, you know, you hit four home runs in a game um, and you strike out, you know, more than you put the ball in play and you lose five to four, is that a good game? Um, the way baseball's going now, they would tell you Yes. So it's it's aggravating for me, even though I'm fairly young. I'm I'm really old school minded, um, and, and how we do things. I think it's launch angle is something that is it'll come and go eventually. Uh, but people are making millions of dollars off of it, so uh, it'll be around for a little bit. But uh, it's it's pure physics alone. You can't strike a baseball square uh, being underneath it um, and be consistent doing it. So it's got to be level. Um, and it's what you do after the point of contact that determines what the ball does. So you could barrel a baseball, a hard ground ball, because you're with on the follow through, you roll down through the ground instead of staying through the ball. Um, so that's baseball. Again, it's physics. You can't argue with physics. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm all about putting the ball in play and making the defense uh, be perfect to throw you out. So I'm, I guess I'm a part of the minority now. So your first year in Wisconsin up there, you you guys lost a year to COVID. What did that mean to your program? What did that do for you as a coach? How did maybe you get better as a coach? How do you coach differently? Take us there. Well, we actually didn't lose a year to COVID because I started this program from nothing. Um, so we started the year after COVID. So last year was our first season of the restart. They hadn't had a program since 95. They cut it to um, – they cut the program in 95 due to Title IX, which are women equality. Um, but they So they just brought the program back, and last year was our first year competing. So we didn't miss anything. Uh, but what did happen that was a setback as far as recruiting is um, I got hired in February, which was tough. Because um, you think about it now with the class that we have and where we're at with the 22s, I'm done recruiting uh, before Christmas. Uh, pretty much our classes are already done um, and then also we couldn't see games we couldn't go to games um, there was no film you know like it is now to maybe go see players now I fly and travel all over the country but there was none of that it was travel restrictions um, so yeah it was difficult in the fact of trying to start the program uh, with COVID because it didn't allow me to really um, recruit you know and have the team from you know right away uh, that ideally that I would have probably put together, you know, like where we're at now, we're in a situation where um, it's all players that kind of fit what we want to do um, with, with our program and what we envision this to be to go forward. All right. And I'll wrap up the podcast right here with this question. Thank you again so much, Coach Bolden. I love your energy and enthusiasm and just your, your ability to speak. You speak very well. And my last question is this. Let's say that I have the money to provide your school with a beautiful clubhouse. You get ping pong table, you're getting cubbies, you're getting 16, 17 different jerseys. You guys wear the Monday jersey, the Tuesday jersey, the Wednesday jersey. You guys got 15 different practice jerseys. You got it all. But there's one stipulation. 
in the clubhouse, you're only allowed to paint one thing on the wall, put up one sign, and it's a quote. What quote would you choose for your guys to see every day, and then why would you choose that quote? Make history, not excuses. Just that simple. Uh, I would pick that because that, that tells it all right there. We can always make excuses about everything. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. Nobody's accountable. It wasn't me. There's no self-reflection in the mirror. Um, instead of making that, let's try to make history, right? With us being a program that has not had anything as far as winning a national championship, winning conference, winning the conference tournament, uh, winning a regional, we have an opportunity to be the first uh, and continue that, that line of history, right? We talk about banners being the mark of what we want to do um, and the standard for what we do. That's history. Again, nobody can take that away from you. So that's our goal every single day. Uh, is to make history in everything that we do and not make excuses.